Welcome to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld, your uh, helpful host. My guest today, Donna Leachaw. Hi, Donna. How are you doing? I'm good, Lou. How are you? I'm really happy because we are in the same place. This is like the second of like 200 podcasts I've done where, and also the second one in like two weeks, where uh, I've actually had my guest in person. We are talking to the world uh, in Park Slope, Brooklyn, New York City, in the USA, where we both live. Good to have you in here in person. It's good to be here. You got me off of Zoom, which I welcome. Oh, thank Anytime. goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> So um, if you don't know Donna, I don't know where you've been. Uh, Donna is an author of a past Rosenfeld media book. And she is a speaker. Oh, you want to know what that book is? Oh. I want to know. Oh, what's it called? The User's Journey. Yeah. And that's a really good book, by the way, because um, uh, it's really a, a great book for helping you understand how to organize. I like to see it as organize an experience with a product or service uh, in a way that engages people that follows a narrative arc. And Donna, that book has been great for Rosenfeld Media Conferences. I mean, from the very get-go, we've been thinking about the whole concept of the narrative arc and the, uh, the, the climax and the denouement, making sure energy levels are good. So there's a lot of people listening that have you to thank for that. Yeah, I mean, it's great for, um, I think I've mentioned this, I don't remember, but we designed our wedding with a, a narrative arc to it just because I normally get bored at weddings and um, find parts painful. And I wanted to make sure it was fun throughout. So we had an arc for the 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 party the event the day of and then for the whole weekend well when i get married wait <laughs> if i get married again uh oh uh well no don't worry mj if you're listening it's okay um so i actually interrupted my own introduction of you because i got really excited thinking about how your first book was helpful you're also <laughs> uh you've written a second book called the leader's journey and the subtitle is transforming your leadership to achieve the Extraordinary. It's got a superhero on the very bright and engaging cover. You're going to love the cover if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, so we have author, speaker, executive coach Donna Leachow to talk with us today about what does it mean to be a leader who is maybe not quite sure what that narrative arc is. And um, I want to start the interview with you today, Donna, by going back to what you may find to be a bit of a, a painful moment in your own career. But I think I can do that because it's actually at the very beginning of your new book. Yes. <laughs> and that is a moment you had. We write a very large, globally known brand, uh, extremely uh, big corporation, and they brought you in to do a workshop. And uh, it didn't go quite as you had hoped. Do you want to give us a little bit of that story? Yeah. So it was an executive leadership retreat, um, one of the biggest companies in the world. I was so excited. And the theme of what would be workshopping was, um, was storytelling and how to use storytelling in a leadership capacity to influence and, and inspire those you work with. And at the time I had been working, I was on the product development side of things. I had a, had a product development consultancy. I'd worked with so many senior leaders who had such an impact across their company 
that I figured, all right, the next best thing is to show people how to do this. And and my whole thesis at the time was this isn't about the stories you tell. It's about the stories you enable everyone you work with to experience when they work with you so that you can build more successful products and services that also have a great story for your customers. And oh, this was like <laughs> the user's journey had been out for a little while at that point, right? So yes. there's a strong connection to that content. Huge connection. It was mostly that content for um, so the user's journey was for anyone who developed products, how to think of your customers as heroes of their own stories so you can develop that story into everything you build from the features to um, flows to marketing materials, but mostly to how the product worked. And I, at that point, um, the book was successful. My, my consulting practice, practice was successful. And... Um, I started to hear from my clients that they were having able to do the same for everyone they worked with instead of turning just customers into heroes, turning everyone they worked with into heroes. And, you know, everyone would come to me and say, hey, I'm a hero. Thank you. <laughs> like now I'm now I'm more of a leader and people listen to me. And I, I was really excited by that. And so the whole thesis was, all right, here's how you turn everyone you work with into heroes of their own stories so that ultimately you can all be more aligned to your vision and bringing successful products into the world more effectively. And it'll make your life easier ultimately. And what I learned with this team, it was, it ended up, it was an awful experience on the one hand, and it was also the perfect <laughs> experience on the other hand, because I had a few people there. Um, it's very on brand for people at this company to be very blunt. Uh, it's one of the things I love about working with people at this company. I'm working with a, a couple of leaders there right now. And um, a few people came up to me during lunch and, and they just straight out said, this is great, but our products are fine. That's now the problem we have. We don't have problems bringing products into the world. We just have problems getting along with everyone we work with and um, feeling good about our work. Uh, we have problems building team morale. We have problems where we're fighting with, you know, my head of engineering is such a jerk. I don't know how to, uh, you know, there's no storytelling in the world that'll get them to listen to me. And I don't know how to turn them into a hero. But not only that, um, and one of the executives just flat out said, you know, I also don't care about that right now. How do I be a hero? Because mm. I can't do my job if I don't feel like a hero. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could say I had the answer right then, but I just straight up told him, this is not about you. <laughs> uh, you need to turn everyone else into heroes. And we'll talk about that this afternoon. And um, I, I left that workshop that day. I just couldn't get his question out of my mind. Mm. And I, I felt like a failure. I mean, you know, in hindsight, they love the workshop. I've heard from people who were at, at there that day, years later, they, they loved it. They thanked me for it. But I just couldn't get that question out of my head. How do I be a hero? And that's what um, I spent the next, I don't know how long it's been now, seven years um, answering that question and, and the process changed my entire business from product development to leadership development because I found many answers and the answers are very cool. So you, I think if I recall, you looked at Gestalt uh, was a source and um, I know it was, a, I think it's Madigan's uh, Narrative Therapy. What, where were some of, well, take us a, on a, a quick, travel log of some of the places you found useful to study. Yeah, it was um, actually such a fun journey. I'm still on it all, all the time. I um, 
it was a series of workshops I was actually doing at the same company um, not soon after this where there was a graphic facilitator there. Um, uh, not a, gra- a graphic recorder. She's also a facilitator. Now she's a, a good friend. But um, uh, she was doing a giant mural as a graphic recording of, of my workshop. And as she was... She came up to me during lunch too. Lunch, so much happens in in lunch. I know we were just talking about it in person events. Um, at lunch, she just said, "You know, this all sounds so familiar," because um, we were talking about narrative architecture and experiences. And she told me that her business partner was facilitating a workshop at a Gestalt psychology um, center in Cape Cod the following week on visual leadership. And she was just like, "I think you should." go and when she told me that my therapist who was a gestalt therapist and I can explain what gestalt is most people don't don't know what it is other than from like a visual design standpoint but my therapist um for years she was a gestalt therapist and for years she was telling me you gotta go (laughs) learn more about this because everything you're talking about sounds like gestalt and so um I ended up there taking a visual leadership workshop and then I saw they had a, an executive coach training program and I thought, oh, I know that's what those leaders a few months ago needed or a few weeks ago. I really wish I had answers. And so I signed up that day. Um, and I want to say I've never looked back, but I've looked back many times <laughs> thinking, oh my God, am I screwing up? Like, how can I throw my business away and just shift completely? Um, but yeah, I went on this journey. I studied with therapists, executive coaches, um, somatic uh, coaches. Um, what I learned is there's this whole school of psychology that um, uh, actually several schools, so Gestalt and then also narrative psychology, mm-hmm. narrative therapy, where the stories that we tell, well, first and foremost, they really dig into this idea that life is an experience and that we use certain architectures to make sense of that experience. So narrative therapy says, well, we use narrative architecture to make sense of experiences. And so how do we make sure that the story of our life, not for telling or marketing or or branding, but like the stories that we live day to day and put into the world, um, with our actions, how do we make sure it's the best story it, it can be and that we can be the heroes in that story? Mm-hmm. And um, that's narrative therapy. Gestalt therapy is similar. They, instead of a narrative architecture, they call it the architecture of experience. And it's the same thing, which is we go through different phases as we think about life and we live our life and we're most successful when we can be the heroes of our story. And so I, that's that's leadership in a nutshell. It's life in a nutshell, but... It's true. If you're not feeling like a hero is a leader, you cannot do your job or make an impact. Well, I want to come right back to that. But uh, uh, before we leave the travelogue, uh, I, don't, I don't mean to ask a negative question, but were there any schools of thought that you found not worth bothering with, a little fluffy in that, uh, in that exploration? Or was everything kind of useful in one way or another? Well, I mean, it's a great question. I'm, I'm someone who finds value in, in everything. I've learned... Um, and this is actually in the in the book a lot. One of the Gestalt perspectives on life is that when you can fully appreciate what is, rather than judge, you can get meaning and um, value out of anything. Uh, even um, 
like, <laughs> it's a terrible example. You know about how uh, that box of books, um, for listeners, a uh, box of books uh, was... A, no, two boxes. Two boxes. Book. Oh, yeah, a one lot is, of books. One is still in transit, by the way. When, yeah, oh, that's a God. whole fun story. Um, uh, the You know, we had boxes of books. It was supposed to be my unboxing, and it was... Um, they never arrived, and they went missing, and then a week later, my neighbor found them down the block, uh, completely ruined in a rainstorm and <laughs> a pile. And, you know, there's... On the one hand, it's sad. I mean, I was really upset and really sad. Um, when you can appreciate how sad you are or also how beautiful <laughs> those covers were, really completely were. <laughs> ruined but still vivid, um, and the fact that the person who found the box of books was my friend from college who I made films with mm. 25 years ago and was my filmmaking partner when I was learning all about narrative architecture. So oh, the I fact didn't that, know that part of the story. Yeah, the fact that he found the books was wonderful. So, you know, when you can appreciate things as they are, that's when um, you can fully leverage everything in life to move forward. So to answer your question, are there schools of leadership thought that I found less useful? Um, absolutely and absolutely in the executive coaching world and in the leadership development world. And the, the biggest one um, that I find less helpful is this idea that leaders have to be something that they're not that you have to learn new skills and you need to dress right and you need to speak up and be louder and have presence and all these um, that is yeah that is something yeah. that like until i read your book i didn't know how much that drove me absolutely bananas it just and so that perfect segue because you know i do get the sense uh, and i think you address this in the book to some degree that there is this concept of of what a leader should be. And that's a story. And then uh, what you try to do in the book is get help people get at their own story. And it's still a leadership story. It's just not a stereotypical story necessarily. None of us really fit the stereotype. Why don't you talk a little bit more about sort of not only grappling with these predetermined or predefined stereotypes of what a leader is supposed to be, but how you sort of help people maybe benefit from the existing stereotype, as you're saying, get something good out of everything, but really establish their own and not feel captive to convention. So there are two places when you're at the point that you're in, um, that, you know, this happens early on, but especially in senior leadership, when you're in visible leadership position you have everyone telling me telling you what to be like what to do how to act and I see this a lot with especially I work with a lot of startup CEOs from for um, quickly scaling companies and um, and in-house executives in organizations that are also rapidly scaling and, and growing and expanding and what happens when you're in charge of something that's growing quickly is what everyone tells you to do or be changes every couple months. We want you to be like this. You have to be like this. Why don't you step up more like this? You need to be louder. You need to be more, um, you know, decisive. You need to be quieter and listen better. They're everything that you can imagine the executives I work with here every single day. And... The thing about being told what to be is um, 
you know, I'm lucky in the sense that I still work in the tech industry. Most of my clients work in tech. And um, it's similar to if all of your customers told you what features they wanted and you went and built them all the time, um, you'd have a pretty crappy product Mm -hmm. and a terrible product strategy. You're not building everything that everyone wants. You're building things that help people meet their goals. And when you're in a leadership position, it's almost like you are the product. If you're just listening to what everyone says, you're never going to make anyone happy and you're never going to have an impact. And so what I find is that the best strategy, the best way to really be effective and level up as a leader is to be more of yourself. But when I say that, it's not um, be a jerk. I think in especially in Silicon Valley, that has uh, uh, played itself out um, on a very public scale <laughs> recently. Anyone who's mm-hmm. followed the uh, Twitter and Elon Musk de- debacle, um, be a jerk is not a sound leadership strategy unless you're okay. Uh, you mean it's not good for market <laughs> capitalization? No, no. If you're fine, like completely ruining your company, sure, it's great. But no, you have to figure out what is everyone's goals? What is my vision? What is our collective vision? Are we clear on that? And then, um, how do I leverage what got me here mm-hmm. to get us all there? Well, so I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive. Well, yeah. Also, I mean, you are your your own stabilizer, your own anchor in the world. And, and I imagine a lot of the people you work with need to be reminded of that and what their story is and that that's all they really got because they have a new manager every two months who wants something or new leader who wants them to be something different then the last one did and then the last one and then so on there's so much churn yeah if you're if you're at the point where you have managers there's so much churn and if you're at the point where you're running the whole thing you're bored they all right. want something from it's Someone all the same exact thing everyone wants something customers want something and you know your new executives that you hired who are so excited to hire they all want something and suddenly you feel like a fraud and um it it uh it plays on every level. And that um, surprised me to some extent. I've worked with founders, God, now for 25 years in different capacities. Um, it, it shouldn't have surprised me, but it really surprised me how um, much it plays out on every different level of leadership in the business world. So a lot of universal truths uh, for people reading this book. Um, I want to talk about a couple topics that you bring up, uh, like, well kryptonite uh and um we might even touch a little bit on on pornography but we're going to do these things after the break so everyone sit tight we'll be right back you're listening to the rosenfeld review with my guest on alicia hey it's lou uh what am i promoting this time a new conference enterprise ux 2023 wait a minute you've heard of enterprise ux before yep that's the name of the conference First big one we ever did back in 2015. We're bringing it back in 2023. Why? Because people who work in large enterprises, whether you're a designer, a researcher, a writer, are struggling to amplify uh, your impact, struggling to scale up for enterprise class challenges. But there's all these great new tools and techniques and practices that are maturing that can help you do that scaling up. One is systems thinking, another's information architecture, another's AI, another is designing with data. 
Those are the four themes we're covering in Enterprise UX 2023 virtual conference taking place June 6th and June 7th. We're going to dig deeply into each of those four areas in ways that help you learn from them, benefit from them, but do so without destroying the planet because they are scary if in the wrong hands. So come join us in Enterprise UX 2023. We've also got a couple great keynoters, Greg Petroff and Aveta Sampson joining us. I hope you'll join us too. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review um, with our guest, Annalie Shaw. We are talking about um, her new book, The Leader's Journey, which is coming out on May 17th. Really excited. I got my copy. didn't end up in a soggy box on a Brooklyn stoop. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. That was like one of the saddest photos I've ever seen, Donna. Um, but we're talking about um, uh, things along the lines of, um, well, framed in uh, sort of a Marvel universe because uh, we were going to talk about people's superpowers and how they can shine through and, and help them understand and get in touch with their ability to lead, but also uh, the kryptonite that can bedevil them. So let's, let's get into that. What kind of superpowers do you typically see the people that you work with and that you imagine might be reading the new book, uh, what, what do they not necessarily realize that they already have, they take for granted? So, um, and I'll backtrack a second too, which is when, when uh, that executive many years ago asked me, how do I be a hero? The answer that I finally learned was that um, not only could you be a hero, but you have to feel like a hero if you're a leader. And um, not only that, you have to feel like a superhero. And so the um, thing that makes superheroes super, uh, and this is all in the book, of course, but is that they have an identity. It's who they are. It could mm -hmm. be what's on their cape as well. And they have superpowers and they have a mission. That's a vision of a future they want to create and how they're going to get there. And so superpowers are essential. It's um, sometimes we call them strengths. Sometimes we call them value. Sometimes we call them skills. It's all the things that make you more powerful, help you do your job as a leader specifically and help as, you know, I'm going to sound cliche, but help make the world a better place because like it or not, that's, that's the business that most, um, most business leaders are, are actually in, even if there are metrics and, you know, ROI, KPIs, OKRs, whatever. It's still, there's still a reason why people do the things they do. Mm -hmm. And when you can leverage your strengths, well, I'll flip it. When you're not leveraging your superpowers at work, um, you can't do your best job. You're not most pow as powerful as you can be. An example that I love to use is... Um, uh, Bob, the dad in The Incredibles, when he's at the beginning of the movie, first movie, not using his superpowers, he's cranky, he's pushing pencils at a job, and and um, he's throwing his boss through, uh, I forget, windows or bookshelves. Walls, or the walls. Like there three you go. or four. Yeah, so um, when you contain and restrain your superpowers, you're, you're, you're sad, you're ineffective, and often depressed, and it gets even you know, more intense than that. And um, so you want to be able to leverage your superpowers. But you, in order to do that, you have to find out what they are. Because a lot of, um, especially in the corporate world, there's kind of this obsession with like, 
what are your values or what are your strengths and their assessments you can take. And um, you know, there's a whole industry surrounding that. But I find that most people I work with, if they get a report of like, these are your top five strengths, it's sort of, it lacks any context. It mm. doesn't really mean anything or, you know, it means you took a quiz and it gave you five words. Um, or uh, I worked with one, one client once. Um, it was hilarious. Her assessment at her company told her that her strength was details. Mm. And so everyone always wanted her to be the detail level leader. And she's like, I hate details. <laughs> I can't stand this. And like, that's all they ever want from me. Like she was a strategist and mm -hmm. she needed to figure out, all right, how do I show my strength? So superpowers are really, really important. Um, the thing that I found, however, is um, you don't take them on. So let's say you need to be a better listener. Like you can spend all your time trying to listen better and take active listening classes and this and that. Or you can figure out, all right, how have I listened before? And those are all stories that you can mine your past and uncover and then apply towards the future. Because at the point that you're in a leadership position, you have to have been doing something right. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Um, I, you know, I always like to say what, you know, the adage, what got you here won't get you there it's true on the one hand however what got you here will get you there you just well, need to see what got you here yeah and I, I mean and your book's really helpful for doing that and one of the things i really like about your advice i mean it's very pragmatic in this way it's like you can't like plug every gap in your your in, in the potential toolkit of skills that you could have i mean like you said you've got some skills you, you wouldn't be there otherwise. And you're suggesting leaning into those rather than uh, sort of ignoring those and trying to plug all these gaps that might not exactly be a very realistic approach for most people to take. We can't be someone we're not. But what I also like is that you lean into uh, your, well, you know, maybe, I wouldn't call them like your, your faults, but you call it kryptonite. Talk about that. Yes. So that is something that I learned from a bunch of Gestalt therapists, which was um, for me a fascinating idea, which is that the more you try to change yourself, the more as humans, we just naturally we fight ourselves. It's like the laws of physics, like equal and opposite force. So we try mm. to change and we're going to do everything to not change because change is actually very scary and unsafe and humans are in the business of staying alive. So you, you try to keep the status quo. But if you're leveling up as a leader, and so I mostly work with people who are catapulted into senior leadership. And so either suddenly they own the company or they, uh, someone saw a lot of so a high potential in them and they're in charge of this whole organization. Um, when you're at that point you can try to change yourself, but you're going to fight yourself and mm -hmm. then you're going to fail miserably because you're spending all of your energy fighting yourself rather than doing what you should be doing, which is leading your company or your organization. And so the gestalt approach to change is, and to your kryptonite, the things that hold you back, your quirks and the things that you do that drive everyone nuts as a leader the approach is that instead of trying to change it, so let's say, um, you know, I, I keep using the example of listening. I worked with a, um, 
a CEO. I've worked with many CEOs who have this problem of um, they don't listen enough. And so they try and try and everyone tells them, you got to listen more. You're such a bad listener. They try and try and try to learn listening skills and it doesn't work. What you do instead is embrace what you're doing and then figure out what to do with it. And so if you're not listening, what are you doing? Ah, well, I was... Um, I was testing them to make sure that they were doing their due diligence when they pitched that demo to me and it was not thought out. And it's like, oh, okay, that is a strength that mm -hmm. you have if you're the CEO where you're really good at testing people's ideas. Wonderful. Why would you stop doing that? Mm -hmm. And so when you can really appreciate rather than looking at your faults as kryptonite, really appreciate what you are doing and how it is serving you, you can then release, um, this sounds so woo-woo, but it works, which is you release that energy. This is why I love superheroes as a metaphor, because right, life is energy, and especially for superheroes, but you appreciate what is, you release that energy so you can stop fighting yourself, accept what is, and then figure out what insights you have and what you want to do with it and how you want to move forward. And, you know, in th this case and these cases with these CEOs and other similar cases, the result has always led to someone being a better listener in the end, but not by forcing themselves to do it, by yeah, accepting I mean, what is and then moving forward. I mean, your book is really a map for people to become the natural leaders that they already are and can be. And it's through a process of, if I can grossly oversimplify, improvement rather than change. Yeah, I think um, it's improvement rather than change. It's, um, what is it? It's Being like radical acceptance. Like mm -hmm. this book should be called, you know, it should be called radical acceptance. Like it's like radical acceptance that just so happens to magically lead towards real lasting change. I love it. I love it. Well, okay. Um, we're going to move on from the book really briefly because we're running a little low on time and I did promise to touch on the P word, <laughs> pornography. So, all right, uh, I'll let Donna explain. But uh, when I did my first ever podcast, which is something like 10 years ago now, 200 ago, uh, I interviewed you and Eduardo Ortiz. And um, I think it was because you had given a really great sort of co-presentation at the IA Summit that year about... Um, your interesting, uh, shall we say, backgrounds in, uh, in working in uh, adult film. And, and, uh, but why don't you, why don't you uh, <laughs> I'll let you tell it. But uh, it was really, a, it was a great talk. And I really enjoyed talking with you back then. What, what, what were you doing back then? Yeah, so um, it's funny. My, my background is in, in filmmaking, but um, the experience we were talking about was years ago in the uh, olden days of the, the web, I had worked for Nerve.com, which was they um, build themselves as literary smut. So it was in the early day of, days of um, web magazines. Mm. And um, they, they had photos and stories and uh, it was... Um, Cool. I'm trying to think of some examples of the photographers and authors, but really well-known people where it, it veered towards um, 
porn light, mm-hmm. but... They called it adult. Adult, right? yes. Adult uh, literary stuff that was still acceptable to um, advertisers and sponsors and could still be on the web and, you know, you could... I don't think you needed to be 21 or older to access mm-hmm. it. and um, But the way that they made it uh, palatable to advertisers is that um, things had to be highly airbrushed so that they were... <laughs> uh, it, things were acceptable. And um, just everything had to be very, very um, safe on mm-hmm. the one hand. So there was a big culture of... of um, doctoring up images and and text just to make sure that it didn't uh, offend anybody. And at the time, however, I was um, I was straight out of college and a uh, you know someone who cares about feminism and and not objectifying people. And on the one hand, that was a great place to work because it was um, uh, partially women owned and mm-hmm. a lot of women there and, and lots of queer folks. And so, um, you know, it was on the one hand, very empowering. On the other hand, there was definitely this sentiment of, um, uh, I don't know, there was this way the, the male gaze kind of took over a lot of the imagery that went up, especially on the homepage. And um, at the time that bothered me when I would be asked to uh, airbrush uh, someone's legs or, you know, a belly button and it was just really really strange and I remember um asking one of my uh professors from college for advice and that's when uh you know her advice her advice was my my question was how do I get through this job I Mm -hmm. love it but this is really rubbing me the wrong way and it was um her advice was um RuPaul like basically anytime you need an image of a uh a woman or something just like sub it with whatever imagery you want to find no one will know if it's half cropped out anyway um have fun and so that's what I started to do subvert um I there were lots of images where you couldn't quite see who the two people were in the photo and I would put two queer models in there and it was a story about straight people but no one knew the difference and uh, yeah, I did get Ru- RuPaul's legs in somewhere for some one of the articles. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the topic that Eduardo and I were talking about, which is uh, um, I can't remember what the theme was. But it was the conference uh, that year. But, yeah, it was subvert. It was like I love that. I love that. <laughs> insert and, yourself into what you're doing. And, and, and it's yet another fantastic illustration of uh, the kind of interesting twists and turns that. Uh, a lot of people in our industry take in their careers. So, I mean, you know, Eduardo was doing something in terms of, I think, supporting production of adult films, and now yeah. he's improving public services. So, uh, <laughs> as, a, as a CEO of a really great company, yeah. Um, you know, we're going to have to wrap, but I, we are ready for um, you to get bring your gift for our listeners. What do you have for us? All right. So the gift I have is I have put all of my materials, all the the tools and worksheets and exercises that I've used with clients for the last, um, God, 15 years, product development, and especially now all the leadership development Mm -hmm. tools, um, many of which are also in the book. 
So you might you might not like this, but it's all free on my website. It's really, really um, one of my superpowers is accessibility. And if I'm not living up to that, I'm very unhappy. And so I put it all up for free on my website. You don't even need to give me your email address to download it. You just download it like no strings attached. It feels great. People love it. And um, I think it's wonderful. And listen, you know, for your book and all the Rosenfeld books, um, we put all the imagery up on uh, Flickr. Listen, it's been, (laughs) you know, it's really hard to move these things once you've been doing it for for 15 years, but Flickr works fine. And actually your book features some lovely illustrations from the one and only MJ Broadbent who uh, did some great work on your book. Donna, it's been a pleasure talking with you. The rest of you, I hope you enjoyed it, uh, uh, certainly enough that you uh, immediately after finishing this podcast, uh, go over to rosefellmedia.com or if you must, Amazon, and pick up a copy of The Leader's Journey, Transforming Your Leadership to Achieve the Extraordinary by Donna Leach, our guest today. Uh, You might also pick up a copy of her first book, The User's Journey, which is also really fantastic. And uh, just read the reviews on Amazon. You'll certainly see that's the case. Donna, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, Lou. This was great as always. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.